Hey everyone. Some of you may know that I'm currently living in Austin, Texas. I moved here last month and have been having a blast. Some of that fun came to a halt though this week when snow and freezing temperatures shut down the city and plunged the entire state of Texas into a power and water crisis. I'm grateful to be safe and Austin is slowly returning back to normal, though there's still a lot of work left to do to make sure we all have access to clean water, power, and other resources. I'm sharing some of my experiences from the past week as I've been reflecting on how the 2021 Texas freeze has exposed some big issues our country will continue to grapple with in the future. Accompanying this special episode is a blog I wrote and posted on my website, takecarepodcast.com. Head there to read along or view some of the pictures I posted of the winter weather event from here in Austin. As I write this, the snow and ice is melting in Austin, Texas. The temperature has inched up to 36 degrees, with a high of 40 degrees expected today. I never thought that 40 degrees would seem warm to me. The sun is out and people are clearing what's left of the snow and removing icicles from their overhangs. We were finally able to get a plumber out here at the townhome complex where I'm staying during my time in Austin. We were hopeful to get running water back in the house by this weekend, but at the same time, the plumber keeps finding new leaks, so it might be a total of seven days without running water in the house. Our water was shut off the day after Valentine's Day, since a neighbor's pipe burst due to the freezing temperatures. The freezing temperatures caught me by surprise. Sure, I saw the forecast on my weather app, but the freezing rain that started a week ago was very new to me. It was shocking to see the first icicles covering branches and leaves. Just a couple weeks ago, Austin was experiencing spring-like temperatures, and I found myself paddleboarding on many sunny days on Ladybird Lake. Now, the roads were slick with ice, so I changed my typical route to work to avoid highways as well as the slippery flyovers that are so ubiquitous here in Austin. In anticipation of the winter weather, we were urged to conserve power, so I skipped my Sunday laundry. Some people in the state lost power early on, before the snowfall. It became apparent that poorer, more disadvantaged neighborhoods were the first to lose electricity. Many were quick to point out the unfairness, as downtown Austin was all lit up and many in nearby East Austin had lost power earlier this week. Overnight, on Valentine's Day, the cold weather storm arrived with force. We woke up on Monday, February 15th, to a winter wonderland. There must have been at least eight inches of snow in my neighborhood. Keep in mind, it doesn't really snow in central Texas. This kind of cold weather is very rare. The snow blanketed the streets and covered the plants and trees like a white coat. I was up early because I was scheduled for a shift at work. I gathered my lunch bag and grabbed a jacket, and once I headed outside and stepped out the door, I was surprised by the sheer amount of snow. One of my neighbors laughed as she saw me try to wipe away snow from my windshield with a round brush. If Texans were unprepared for the weather, I, the Bay Area transplant, sure was too. I had no idea what I was doing, and my car wasn't winterized in any way. My neighbor and I saw a black lifted Jeep struggle through the deep snow, and we both agreed that there was no way my sedan wouldn't get stuck on my way to work. That day, I spent hours out in the snow, taking in the quietude and the tranquility on nearby Burnett Road. There were no cars in sight, even though it is a normally busy main thoroughfare of the city. I shared the pictures of the weather event with my friends and family back home. And since I couldn't make it to work, I spent the day exploring in the snow. I can count on one hand how many times I've been in snow, mostly for day trips up to Lake Tahoe. It felt really special to experience waking up to snow outside my door. The whole time I was out trekking in the snow, I was taken aback by the beauty of it, as well as how cold it actually was. Little did I, as well as the rest of Texas know, that the snow and freezing weather would quickly turn to ice and trigger a major crisis in the entire state. Now that the ice is clearing out and traffic lights are starting to come back on, the magnitude of the situation has started to hit me. Once we lost running water in the house, I found myself going into a kind of survival mode, making sure to secure enough food and water to get through the days. Thankfully, 
We still had the house to sleep in and still hadn't lost power then, but by late Monday, water wasn't readily available at home. Brushing teeth meant using a water bottle. Showering wasn't as easy as turning a knob. My housemate and I, we quickly rushed to buy bottled water. The nearby dollar store became essential as I stocked up on buckets, drinking water, sports drinks, and snacks. I had plenty of food in the fridge, so I felt relieved and didn't think I needed anything else. Seeing that the cold and snow were here to stay for a few days, it felt wasteful to use drinking water for the toilet. So thus began my now familiar ritual of melting snow to flush the toilets. I filled buckets with snow and heated it up on our stove. Every day from then on, one of my tasks was finding enough water to have on hand for our bathroom business. It surprised me how the ritual of collecting snow and melting it became part of my to-do list every day. Then we lost electricity. Due to the nature of Texas's energy grid and the lack of preparation by energy officials, we, alongside 4 million other Texans, were left in the cold and dark. No more lights, no more heat, no more cooking because of our electric stove. Most of the food I had needed to be cooked or warmed up. I sure regretted not making a big batch of rice the day before when we still had power. I needed to go to the grocery store. I made my way to the HEB market and waited in line alongside other Austinites for two hours. Once inside, people rushed the bread and dairy aisles. Canned soups were plucked off the shelf, and many of us grabbed snack foods in addition to fresh fruit. Outside, shoppers had to pick up and carry their shopping carts as they made their way back to their cars through slush and tried to navigate the slippery ice. There were more than a few close calls. I was able to pick up sandwich supplies and made my way back home, content that I had food that didn't require cooking. I ate lunch in the car that day, enjoying the warmth and charging my phone at the same time. As many of us do during challenging times, I was glued to my phone for news updates and then realized that the constant updates weren't helping me. In fact, they were stressing me out. So even though it was cold outside with temperatures ranging from 8 to 28 degrees Fahrenheit, the best part of the last few days was going outside and walking around the neighborhood. Since arriving in Texas a month ago, afternoon and evening walks have been part of my routine. I usually head to a local park and walk there, but driving to that park wasn't an option now. So I trekked through the streets, sometimes listening to a podcast or music, and when the power went out, ditching my phone and just listening to the snow crunch under my running shoes, which were certainly not the best snow-appropriate footwear. During those walks, it was comforting to receive a hello or even a smile from neighbors. Many stopped to chat and offered help. On Monday, I was out taking pictures and spotted a family playing in the snow. I asked if they would take my picture in front of the library with all the snow, and the dad obliged. Fast forward to the next day. I ran into him again, this time at the only open gas station and food mart in the neighborhood, and he gave me the address of their family home if I needed anything, and he offered to fill my water containers. The power came back on in the house after 38 hours. That was a relief, and by that day, I was on day four of no showering. The baby wipes I bought at the dollar store could only do so much. So the bucket showers began. Melted snow turned into water, which I brought into the bathroom with me so I could bathe. It was the most amazing feeling ever. I remember texting my therapist how it really is the small things that make such a difference. Putting on clean clothes and feeling clean was the best. I'm sure this weekend will still require bucket showers. It's reminded me of the times when I've traveled abroad, like when I've been down in Mexico and had to bust out the buckets or when I traveled to Uganda and the power would go out and leave us soapy in the showers without water. I never thought though that I'd be in a similar situation in the States. We still don't have running water in the house. The city of Austin is currently under a boil water notice for households that do have running water because the largest water treatment plant lost power too. I've been collecting melting ice and snow that's trickling down from the library rooftop next door to continue to flush the toilets and to boil and cool for bucket baths. Last night, I was able to go for a drive as the streets and roadways have become safe for travel again 
and I headed to a local pizza place. Eating my pizza in the car, which tasted so delicious after living off cold sandwiches and cereal for a few days, I began to reflect how we react to situations like the one many in Texas experienced this week. For much of the week, my brain automatically went into survival mode, and I found a routine to follow every day. Eat, find water, walk around outside, and talk to my neighbors. I felt strange staying inside the house and hanging out, especially because I was tempted to constantly refresh the news. On one of my walks, I ran into a neighbor, carefully traversing the ice and snow in baby blue croc shoes. I smiled at her and she quipped, there's certainly something about this weather that makes it hard to stay inside. I agreed with her. I walked briefly with her as we saw other neighbors making fires in their front yards. There was something so powerful about connecting with strangers during such a strange time. In fact, it's taken me a couple days for the intensity of the past few days to really set in. And the feelings have started to seep in as I've been able to decompress. Austin-based therapist Elise Kennedy of Moving Parts Psychotherapy detailed what happens during a threat or survival response. She wrote in a recent Instagram post about orienting to safety following stress or trauma. She says, When the nervous system has been experiencing a survival or threat response, we do not immediately return to equilibrium once the threat has dissipated or the trauma has ended. The nervous system stays in threat response until there is a felt sense of safety or a felt sense that the trauma is over. She goes on to detail some of the ways we can orient ourselves back to safety and how the body responds. One of these ways involves rest. I certainly felt that. Once the temperature returned to normal and the ice began to melt, I started to feel pretty tired. In fact, I slept quite a bit yesterday and woke up craving a big meal of rice, beans, chicken, and veggies. I even started to notice that my arms were actually sore from carrying buckets full of water multiple times a day into the house during the past week. It was interesting to recognize that my body and mind had been on high alert and needed to rest. Kennedy also wrote about social engagement as a way to orient our nervous system back to safety. Last night, as I left my house for a drive, I was struck by how I felt seeing people in restaurants and cars driving around again. I felt safer that things were returning to normal and appreciated my friends and family in California checking in. Part of that social engagement piece for me has also involved reflecting how different people were affected during this crisis. Earlier this week, on the day I walked to the dollar store, there was only one young woman working that day. She seemed frazzled and tired. So when I paid, I asked her if she had power and water at home. She said she didn't and hadn't for a couple days, though she did not want to be at work that day and had to take the risk and drive on the treacherous roads to open up the store. It was warmer in the store than at home and she had access to a bathroom and sink there. On a larger scale, what happened in Texas and some surrounding states points to many core issues that our country will be grappling with as we move forward. Issues like extreme weather, likely caused by climate change, and in this case, a major winter storm due to the polar vortex pushing down into lower latitudes. The disruption and devastation reminds me of the catastrophic wildfires that happened seemingly every single year in my home state of California. I've already seen some tongue-in-cheek t-shirts popping up for sale online saying, quote, I survived Texas Snowvid 2021. Think about it. There was an extreme weather event happening while the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic was still playing out in the background. According to the Associated Press, the White House reported that the cold weather delayed vaccination campaigns across various states by halting 6 million doses slated to ship and temporarily closing various vaccination sites in as many as 20 states. Tragically, the weather event and crisis meant that some people didn't survive what happened this week. One New York Times headline read, quote, extreme cold killed Texans in their bedrooms, vehicles, and backyards. According to the article, at least 58 people died in storm-affected areas stretching to Ohio. Victims of carbon monoxide poisoning, car crashes, drownings, house fires, and hypothermia. One particularly heartbreaking incident occurred in Conroe, Texas, a town 40 miles outside of Houston. 
On Tuesday, an 11-year-old boy was found dead by his family after they all slept in their mobile home in freezing temperatures. They had been without power since Sunday. For those that are physically safe, there's still a lot of cleanup left to do. On top of the devastating loss of human life, many across the state face burst pipes and leaks, along with other structural damage due to the freeze. Some people's roofs and ceilings caved in after they ballooned with water that escaped their pipes. The lack of heat and electricity meant their homes were so cold, they literally had icicles hanging from their light fixtures. According to the risk modeling firm Karen Clark & Company, a preliminary estimate of the cost of insured damage from this week's winter freeze places the figure at about $18 billion. Another issue that was highlighted during this crisis was the much-needed upgrade to our nation's infrastructure. The New York Times sums it up, saying, As climate change brings more frequent and intense storms, floods, heat waves, wildfires, and other extreme events, it is placing growing stress on the foundation of the country's economy. That is, its network of roads and railways, drinking water systems, power plants, electrical grids, industrial waste sites, and even homes. Failures in just one sector can set off a domino effect of breakdowns in hard-to-predict ways. Our infrastructure can't keep up with the rapid change brought on by our changing climate. And managing the effects of more extreme weather on our infrastructure is proving to be difficult, as evidenced by Winter Storm Yuri. The reality is that every person is affected, even as the weather has changed in much as Texas and the freeze appears to be over. According to CBS News, more than 14 million Texans are still without safe drinking water, either without any water at all or under boil water notices. It was certainly surreal to experience all of this just a month after moving here. Though my home is in California, I know that my experience has allowed me to feel more connected to Austin and the state of Texas. In short, I'm just so grateful to be safe. Thanks for listening. You can find me on Instagram at takecare.pod and at Twitter at takecare underscore pod. To support Take Care, please consider giving the podcast a five-star rating and leave a review. Quick disclaimer, I'm not a mental health professional, just an advocate and individual with a passion for mental and emotional health. The information and topics discussed on this podcast are for educational and informational purposes only. This podcast does not attempt to diagnose, treat, or cure any mental or emotional condition or disease.